Good evening and welcome to E-Bible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 5 of Revelation chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verse 6, which says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, or four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And uh, we're continuing to look at this glorious vision that God is given to, um, to his servant John. As John was on the island of Patmos, um, we read way back in Revelation chapter 1, in the day of the Lord, or the, the Lord's day. And so we're not surprised um, that as we read the book of Revelation, there is much to say about judgment, because the Bible often speaks of judgment day as the Lord's day, the day of the Lord. And here in um, Revelation 5, we've seen that the Lord is seated upon his throne, and in his right hand was a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And the strong angel or messenger, who would have been God himself, proclaimed with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof. And it was um, revealed that no man was worthy. No man could be found to loose the seals of, of this book. But uh, after the apostle John began to weep, one of the elders, one out of the elders who would have been Christ again, uh, said unto him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. That's the word often translated as overcome. Hath overcame has been victorious to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. So the lamb which had been slain was in the midst of the throne, the midst of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders. And, of course, we know exactly who the lamb that had been slain is referring to. We uh, read in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, in verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then also in verse 35 and 36, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. No doubt who the Lamb of God is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the Lamb, and in our verse in Revelation 5, there stood a Lamb in the midst, again, of the throne, the four living 
creatures and the elders. Now, uh, we're not surprised by that because, of course, Christ is in the midst of the throne of God. He is eternal God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the everlasting Father. There, There is no separating them. So he is in the midst of the throne. And we're not surprised that he's in the midst of the four living creatures because the four living creatures are a representation of the glory of God. They're also a type and a figure of God. And again, Christ is God. So, of course, he's in the midst of the four living creatures. And as well, he's in the midst of the elders, the 24 elders that were round about the throne, who in chapter 4 had uh, cast their crowns before the throne of God. And these 24 elders are typifying all of God's elect from all time, 12 representing the Old Testament saints of God and 12 representing the New Testament saints of God, 24, which... Um, completes or represents the fullness of all those that God saves. And and the number 12 is um, further illustrated uh, later in the book of Revelation when we get to Revelation 21 and we read about New Jerusalem descending down from heaven um, from God. And again and again, the number 12 is spoken of with its foundations, with its gates, with its wall, and and so forth. The number 12 identifies with the elect, with the complete city of God, the fullness of all those that God saved out of the Lamb's book of life, the all whose names were recorded by God from before the foundation of the world, all who the Lord Jesus died for, from the foundation of the world. And, well, we need to discuss that because Revelation 5-6 is a saying that the Lord Jesus, spoken of as the Lamb, stood a Lamb as it had been slain. Now, most people, as soon as they read that, they think of the cross. They think of 33 A.D., and that's when Jesus was slain, they believe. And that has been the uh, traditional teaching of the churches throughout the church age. Christ died on the cross for the sins of his people. And of course, Jesus did die on the cross. There, no one is disputing that. But when we read of the Lamb of God, the Lamb is a reference to the sacrificial offering of God on behalf of those that he intended to save. For instance, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 22, we read of the time when God commanded Abraham to offer up his son, his only son, Isaac, and and uh, Abraham was obedient, and he took his son in the wood and was about to offer him as an offering to God as he raised the knife to bring it down to slay his son. 
And, and he, uh, did that, the book of Hebrews tells us, because he accounted God was able to raise him from the dead if he did follow through. He trusted God. And God, uh, moved in Abraham to perform the doing of this good deed, to, uh, to do this good work. And, and yet God interrupted him in Genesis 22, in verse 7, it says, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And that's exactly what happens before uh, Abraham can bring down the knife, God stops him, and he's shown um, a ram caught in the thicket. And yet the statement here should not be overlooked or missed when Abraham answers Isaac, where is the lamb? The response was, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. And that is exactly what God did. He, uh, he himself, eternal God, the Lord Jesus, uh, as it says in John 1, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of John 1, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Christ, the Word, who was with God and was God. They are one. The Father and the Lord Jesus are one. We we can't understand it. It's mysterious. It's beyond our ability to comprehend how God can be one God. And He is. There's not two or three or more. There's only one God. Know, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. There is one God, yet he reveals himself as three persons, and Christ, the Son, yes, the Word was made flesh, and he entered into the human race to demonstrate and to show forth, to reveal what he had done from the foundation of the world, when at that point he made payment for the sins of his people. Now, we're not making that up. That's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13. It says in um, in verse 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And this is referring to the beast during the time of the Great Tribulation, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When was the lamb slain? Well, God just told us, from the foundation of the world. Before God created the world, the universe, before he created man, before the fall of man, and and the need of a savior in that sense, God laid the sins of all who he would save. Uh, he, Knowing the end from the beginning, he laid all these sins upon 
the Lord Jesus who died for them at the point from the foundation of the world and made payment in full. The Bible is clear that is the point in which the sins of all those that God saved were paid for. And when Jesus entered into the human race, when he was born of the Virgin Mary in 7 BC, and then later when he went to the cross, he was demonstrating what he had done, and he did suffer a second time. But he did not make payment. There was no need for him to pay for sins already paid for. And his uh, one and only offering of himself for the sins of his people was completely satisfactory. It, it wasn't wanting anything at all where he had to complete it in some way. No, it was a perfect payment for the sins of each one that he died for. And, and, and so the Bible tells us that Christ is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, in Revelation 5, Jesus is the lamb who stood in, uh, in the midst of the throne, the midst of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, God's elect. Stood a lamb as it had been slain, and and so this is indicating that that the Lord Jesus has, from the foundation of the world, uh, been identified by God as the sacrificial lamb, the one who made offering. And uh, well, if that's so, then what are the elders doing there? What, what are the 24 elders doing? Well, we have to realize this is a vision, that this is teaching us, um, certain truths, that, and, and we're all God's elect, um, with God from the foundation of the world. Yes, in the sense that all their sins were paid for, and the Lord Jesus now had guaranteed that they would uh, eventually, in time, they they all would be redeemed. They all would end up with him at, and one with him in the Father in the kingdom of God. And the Lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, the, the seven eyes, once again, this reminds us of the four living creatures that had uh, eyes before and behind. It indicates the all-seeing nature of God, the perfection of God's ability to see and understand all things. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing is able to be hidden from him, no matter how hard a man might try. Nothing is able to uh, to be covered over so that his uh, all-knowing gaze will not see it or understand what had happened. But everything is known unto God. What about the seven horns? You know, we would expect a lamb 
as as the Bible indicates, um, the the ram actually back in Genesis 22 is is said to have horns. The one that was caught in the thicket, it says in Genesis 22, in um, in verse 11, and the angel Jehovah called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. There was the lamb that God provided and and that lamb of course points to the Lord Jesus Christ the the lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world the only savior who is able to save a sinner from sin was the Lord Jesus Christ it, only through him can an individual uh, enter into heaven and live forevermore and the horns we we can uh, see how they relate to the ram, to the fact that God speaks of Christ as a sacrificial animal. Now, now the horn. It, uh, let, let's just look at how this uh, word is used in the Bible in Psalm 18, in verses one and two. We read there: "I will love thee, O Jehovah, my strength." Jehovah is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Jehovah is the horn of my salvation. And, you know, that that statement uh, doesn't stand alone. Remember in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, that Zacharias, the the father of John the Baptist, was so thrilled when when God had finally opened his mouth. We read in Luke one in verse sixty four, and his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake, and praised God. And then in verse 67, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The horn of salvation. Now the horn can be used to to uh blow like a trumpet and actually in the book of Joshua uh, when they were um dealing with Jericho God uses the same word horn there and and so it has that aspect to it but they would also uh use a horn a prophet would use a horn like Samuel we read in 1 Samuel in chapter 16, in First Samuel 16, in verse 1, And Jehovah said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn for Saul, 
seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And then over in verse 13 of the same chapter, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of Jehovah came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now we we can see a little bit more what God is doing here, why it is that he would have a horn filled with oil in order to anoint David king. Now, of course, David is a great type of Christ, but he also was a true believer, and and we we understand from Psalm 18 verse 2 and Luke 1:69 that God references a horn of salvation who can only be the savior the Messiah Jesus Christ. He is the horn of salvation. And oil when someone is anointed with oil in the Bible whether we read it in the epistle of James or whether we we read this anointing of David, it points to the Holy Spirit. Remember in Matthew chapter 25 with the ten virgins, five wise virgins had oil in their lamps and the five foolish did not, indicating the five wise possessed the Holy Spirit, which enlightened them to understand the, the word of God, the Bible, while the foolish were left in darkness and ignorant, even though they possessed lamps, the word. They had the Bible also, but it didn't help them without the oil to enlighten their eyes, without God to show them the truths hidden in his word. And and so the the horn carries the oil. Christ's salvation brings the Holy Spirit. It is through the salvation that Jesus has provided for his chosen people that they are anointed. And uh, let, let's see that again in 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of Jehovah came upon David from that day forward. It's as though here is God's salvation. And the oil is is taken from the horn of salvation and applied to David in this case. And the Holy Spirit enters in. And now he has received from the oil of salvation. He possesses the Spirit of God. And this is the uh, really a wonderful picture that God gives us and uh, you know, this is also why we read in Revelation concerning Satan, that that he has horns in Revelation 13, 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And a, a little further along in verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, 
We know that Satan is the great imposter. He comes looking like Christ. He comes as an angel of light. And his emissaries as ministers of righteousness. And and that's why here, as the beast, he has two horns like a lamb. But how does he speak? Does he speak the words of eternal life? No, he speaks, or he spake as a dragon. And how does Satan speak? Satan is a liar and the father of it. And, and this is revealing to us that God's end-time program of loosing Satan as he entered into the churches as the man of sin, as the beast, to rule over the churches and congregations. And, and they continued to be called Christian churches. They didn't change their name to the the house of the beast. They continued to refer to themselves as the house of God. They didn't change their name to um, the the church of Satan. They continued to be referred to as the church of Christ. And yet they were completely under the power and authority of Satan at the allowance of God as God utilized the devil in loosing him to to bring destruction to the unfaithful churches and congregations of the world. And, and, and so the horns were also a part of the lamb as Satan, um, tries to mimic Christ and tries to pretend, oh, we have salvation. Yes, we have salvation readily available. You can accept Christ and and you can become saved. You can speak with tongues, which is evidence of salvation. Uh, you can be baptized uh, in, in some of my churches. And, and that's an, good enough for salvation. And uh, just just quick and easy and plentiful salvation. It, it's just abundantly available in every church in, in the world. And it's all a lie during the time of the Great Tribulation. There was no salvation. These these horns were empty of oil, we would say. Uh, they looked like the, the true gospel, but they weren't the true gospel. And uh, it, only the Lord Jesus Christ, the actual Lamb of God, the the genuine Lamb of God, the genuine sacrificial offering of God himself for the sake of his people possesses oil. And that oil was poured out all through history. Whenever God's elect was found, born into the world, they were anointed with oil from the horn of salvation before they died at whatever point they died in their life. And all the oil to anoint those individuals has been poured out because God has saved them all. All have been redeemed. All have had the saving work, the atoning work of Christ applied to them. And and here God pictures the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne, the midst of the living creatures, the midst of the elders, as it had been slain, having Seven horns and seven eyes. That is, having 
the the fullness of salvation as the Lord Jesus is the essence, the very essence of God's salvation. So uh, within him is the perfection of that salvation of God. 